just sit tall. And ride your breath down. You know, so much of our life force gets channeled into the head. So we'll just channel life force down into the heart, into the belly, into the body. Consider as we start here that the body is telling a deeper truth than what the mind can tell. The mind may be saying, oh, everything is fine, and then the, but the body feels tense. So give yourself a moment or two here to come down into the landscape of the body. Use your gentle awareness to feel into the major areas, the heart, the belly, the shoulders, the face, the hips. And with that gentle awareness to just like a warm bath washing over any pocket of resistance or conflict or difficulty. We're not really entering the present moment. The present moment is always just what is here. But we're allowing ourselves to harmonize with the present moment. We're allowing ourselves to come into accord with it. And just notice that as you come into accord with the present moment, that resistance begins to melt. Conflicts begin to melt. Difficult emotions begin to vaporize. And here in the present moment, there's just an atmosphere of peace ready for you to breathe in. So take some moments, just a few moments here, just to breathe in the atmosphere of peace. As you breathe in the atmosphere of peace, breathe out the atmosphere of discord. Literally breathing it out of the body. Breathing out conflict, breathing out anger, aggression, shame, woundedness, lack. Feel that sense of peacefulness just pervading your body and knowing that it is available to you at any moment, at any time. Okay, good. Just a little settling for us. When you're ready, just move a little bit, open your eyes.
talking about Santosha today is, I think, one of the most useful of all of the explorations of the yamas, the niyama. Certainly, it's the most uh, practically relevant, I think, for most of us. The good thing, what I do like about talking about these principles like Santosha is that we're no longer using terms like non-possessiveness or non-stealing or non-greed because, you know, it's a well-known, it's a well-comprehended piece of human psychology that when we're told not what not to do, we tend not to know what to do. You know, if someone says, well, don't do that, it's not really clear to our mind what to do, you know, and so... Many of these niyamas come more. So you could think of, in some sense, you could think of the yamas as don't do this and the niyamas as do this, right? Uh, So they're much more engaging in a way. But even still, even in the niyamas, something like shaucha, purity, is can remain somewhat abstract. I mean, there's very practical application. But, you know, if we ask ourselves a question like, what is purity? It's like, whew, what a big question that is, you know. But for most of us, we can connect to a sense of contentment. For most of us, we can tap into that pretty well, uh, or at least tap into our desire for it, right? So that's what santosha means, contentment or satisfaction. I like that word too, satisfaction. Um, and remember that when we're practicing the yamas and the niyamas, we are practicing anti-ego Strategies. These are all practices that go against the grain of the ego or they work to heal or they work to undo part of the habits and patterns of our ego. One of the most sophisticated patterns of our ego is the pain body. Eckhart Tolle, Eckhart Tolle uses that term, the pain body. I tend to look at our pain body as having two sort of sides to it. We have a, a body of pain and suffering which in us may feel like a sense of heaviness, may feel like a sense of being restricted, tight, hard, contracted, resistant, those sorts of feelings. But we also have a body of desire. There's a a part of our system that also lives with a, a desiring, a wanting, right? And that wanting, even though it has some incredible life force within it, also can be tied to that sense of lack, right? When we feel a lack, we tend to want something. Uh, they're, they're inextricable from each other. So <clears throat> understanding this pain body is also to understand the desire body, that they go hand in hand, right? And we're going to talk about a couple of different forms of desire here as we go through this exploration, because there are different forms. There's the form of desire that leads to suffering. The form of desire that leads to suffering is when we seek for happiness outside of ourselves. And this can be in an experience, a person, you know, um, a number in the bank account, um, positive uh, regard from other people. It can be anything. Anything that we start to look outside of ourselves for becomes that suffering-related desire, desire that causes suffering. This was the hallmark of Buddha's teaching. Buddha taught that every human being suffers and there's a cause for that suffering. And the cause, he said, was desire. What he really was saying was that because we live with a sense of lack, we generate desire 
to fulfill that lack. So anytime we generate desire and go looking outside of ourselves, there's suffering involved. There's pain. There's struggle involved in that, right? And this is just worth us taking a look at. You know, nothing we talk about in this path is just, you know, accept these words and and uh, don't question them. We should question that. We should see when I am looking for something outside of myself, what is the feeling connected to that? What is the state connected to that? And as we learn to track that and trace that, we learn to see that there is indeed unhappiness or suffering or struggle connected to my search outside of myself for happiness and for for fulfillment. And this is, of course, just part of our conditioning. It's part of what we have learned to do. It's part of what we're taught to do is that if there is unhappiness in you, look for something that will make you happy. And I see this in yogis too. It's there's so much difficulty associated with it because people get very frustrated with themselves that they can't find what makes them happy. Not realizing that there isn't anything you're going to find that makes you happy. That's not possible, right? Now you can find things that bring you pleasure. You can find things that are connect to your sense of passion. And there are very benevolent forms of desire, like my desire for us to sit down and have tea, my desire for a piece of chocolate, my desire to go for a walk, right? These are like living desires. These are desires that are just a part of life, right? They're natural. My desire to eat when I'm hungry. Uh, In Christian terms, they call them the blameless passions, the blameless desires. You can't be blamed for something that's just part of your organism, right? It's natural. It's natural. It's natural to want socialization. It's natural to want food, water, exercise, all of these things. But the desire that's born out of lack, that says within us, I'm not enough, I don't have enough, that causes us to go searching, that causes us to go pursuing something that will satisfy us, that's the desire we want to connect with in exploring Santosha. Because Santosha says that contentment is in essence not chasing after happiness, not going to look for it outside of ourselves. Now, of course, the thing that complicates this is that if we don't feel happiness within ourselves, what to do? What to do? How do you connect to contentment when you don't feel happy? When you want to be happy and you don't feel happy, how do you connect to it? There's a lot of little subtle elements to that, but basically... What we have to understand in this exploration with Santosha is if you are unhappy, you are still searching for something. You may not know that you're searching and you may not know what you're searching for. But if you're still unhappy in the moment, if you're saying to yourself, okay, contentment, where are you? Where are you? I can't find you. I can't find fulfillment. I can't find satisfaction. What we have to discover is that Somewhere inside of us, there's a search happening. And that search always involves wanting things to be more than they are, better than they are, or different than they are, right? So if I look outside and I'm saying, well, I want it to be 70 and I want leaves on the trees, I suffer. I suffer. You know, if I'm saying, if I have a, right now I have a little bit of a bellyache for some strange reason. I don't know why. 
Little tiny bellyache. If I desire to not have a bellyache, I suffer. Right? So desire has positive and negative forms. There's what we want to get, and then there's also what we want to get rid of. And both forms cause us to move away from contentment. And that's an important thing for us to get into here, is that it's not that happiness isn't present. It's not that contentment isn't possible, fulfillment isn't possible. It's that we are not looking in the right direction. And the best analogy for that is that <clears throat> is to say, the sun is always shining. The sun is always shining, no matter what. Our happiness is always available. The question is, are we turned toward it or are we turned away from it? Right? And if we're suffering, if we're unhappy, unfulfilled in some way, it simply means that we've chosen in some regard to turn away from the source of happiness. Right? We've, so the earth, the earth is the analogy, right? The sun is always shining. The earth can be turned, a part of the earth can be turned toward it, or the part of the earth can be turned away from it. If we're turned away from the sun, all we experience is darkness. That's all we experience. Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, he says, for one who is established in the inner sanctum of themselves, there is no darkness. There is only the ever-present shining of the sun. Right? He's speaking of that inner fulfillment. That's our task in, in a huge way, is to embody satisfaction, to embody contentment. <clears throat> I want to take this piece, though, just a little bit beyond, because sometimes where people stop with contentment is, well, just be satisfied with what you have. It's like, okay, well, what if I have, you know, terrible pain in my body? Or what if I have, you know, I'm about to get evicted because I don't have any money, right? Telling someone to just be content with what they have doesn't really work that well in that kind of situation, right? Um, and that wouldn't be the right medicine for that moment anyway. If you're telling someone who's in that condition, practice santosha here. Wrong medicine. Wrong, wrong medicine. The right medicine for that has more to do with trust, not contentment. Trust comes later in, in our exploration with these uh, yamas, niyamas. But the, connect, the contentment that we can connect to is also deeper than the conditions of our experience. It is possible to be content and feel pain. It is possible to be content and feel um, tired. It's possible to be content and feel heartbroken. Because what we realize when we actualize contentment within ourselves is that it's kind of like a ground. And the conditions of life they move, they change. Sometimes they're wonderful and sometimes they're not. You know, sometimes you're vibrantly healthy and sometimes you're sick. But the contentment we speak of is the ground on which both of those occur. And that's a very important thing to realize because if we tie our contentment to the conditions that we are present with, well, then there will always be up and down. Some things will be good, other things won't. And that's the nature of life, right? If we were given a life that was 
all what we wanted all the time, we would become so terribly bored and disgusted with ourselves, we wouldn't be able to tolerate our life. As odd as that sounds, really, because there's, we grow partially through hardship, which we'll explore when we explore tapas, but we grow through hardship. So we shouldn't base our sense of satisfaction and fulfillment on the conditions of the world and how they change, how they come and go. That is a major theme in the Bhagavad Gita. Is The Bhagavad Gita is very similar to the Bible in this way, in that it, its approach to spirituality is to go beyond the conditions of the world, not to try to find your satisfaction in them, but to realize that your satisfaction is sourced from something beyond this world. And in the Bhagavad Gita, that's one of the major themes, that Krishna, in some senses, always teaching Arjuna, go beyond the senses. Go beyond looking for gratification from your senses or the world around you. Right? That's why he can say, act without seeking the fruits of your actions. Because he's saying that the fruits of your actions is just the return you're looking for from the world. Right? In this way, the, the philosophy within the Bhagavad Gita is to source ourselves from a deeper origin point, right? To connect to the source itself, God itself, or truth itself. And in that way, we know the, the ultimate contentment, the deepest satisfaction, because in that, rec- excuse me, in that recognition, nothing can disrupt your contentment. Nothing. Even terrible pain, even terrible sickness, even terrible heartbreak. Even though you may go through the waves of pain and heartbreak and all of the things that come, there's still a part of you that is more deeply rooted that can't be disrupted. And that's a contentment, a deep understanding within us that says, my happiness doesn't come from this world, right? It, it, it doesn't uh, originate here. It's not in things, Right? Happiness is not locked up in a thing. And then when you get it, the happiness comes out of that thing and into you. It's not like that. Which brings us to just another piece of this, which is that tends to be the way we experience the world. If, you are, if you've been looking for something, let's say a bundle of money, and then a bundle of money comes to you, you're like, woohoo, happy, Right? So when you have that experience, there's it, undoubtedly you're going to come to the conclusion that, well, I got this money and it made me happy. We have to put that under a microscope for a moment, though. We have to look at that a little more closely to see, is it the money that made you happy or did your desire and sense of lack end? And that's the careful point we want to get at with Santosha is that the money didn't make you happy your desire for it and the sense of lack that was connected to it stopped momentarily. But even, you know, wealthy people can acknowledge, like, once you got that money, then you might start thinking, well, okay, it was nice. I got a hundred grand, but maybe 200? I don't know. Then the suffering begins again. Because right again, right away, we're back on this path of searching for. Then when you get the 200,000, you're like, Okay, yeah, that made me happy, right? And so it reinforces this idea that we are actually getting happiness from 
the world from material experience. But we're not. All we're getting is a momentary cessation of our outward reach. So if we can understand that and, and understand the, the, the intelligent movement to stop reaching for, then you establish yourself in contentment and happiness. And from that place, life tends to work out somewhat magically. The money you've been wanting, the relationship you've been wanting, the good health, the weight loss, whatever it is, you establish yourself in contentment and it tends to produce an atmosphere of rightness around you where what you were wanting becomes fulfilled. This is a major theme in the third chakra, which is it's called Manipura, which means city of jewels. Sometimes the third chakra is called the wish-fulfilling tree. That the moment you surrender what it is you're wanting, the moment you drop into contentment and satisfaction, what you've been wanting tends to come towards you. It's kind of there in the law of attraction teachings as well. Um, okay, so I've said a lot. I've introduced a lot of different little pieces to this. Let me see. Do you have anything you want to add or question on this one? I was just going to say on the where you just left off, um, when we find contentment, what we are seeking then becomes present. And yes, and I also have experienced it to be that um, what the ultimate desire has been has been peace and um, mm -hmm. I don't have words today. So it isn't it isn't the thing. So it all falls away. Yep. So then you have what you need because you don't need anything. Right. And then in considering um, contentment can be present with fear, anger, upset. I'm sorry, I'm at work and there's so many children playing outside the door. So if it's I loud. can't hardly hear um, it. I, I would go so far as to say it not only may it, I think it has to. I think in order to find that contentment, we realize that we aren't our feelings, we aren't our thoughts. And once we have that 30,000 foot view, um, we can find that peace, like it's accessible because we're removed from that. Um, there were so many things lighting up as you were speaking, but you know, then they move and go right out the window next to me. But <laughs> if something comes back, I'll, I'll uh -huh. chime in. Yeah. But very well said, that was great. Thank yeah, you. good points, good points. Yeah, really, truly. Mm hmm. Oh. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, I um. That all just like clicks for me, especially the um. Well, for me, scarcity and <clears throat> wanting that that outside source of comfort and money is, is one of them being in my job is up and down and left and right and completely out of my control. Um, but what is what I found and, and, and recently going through some medical issues um, and being denied by insurance for care and treatment, um, I I was devastated and felt like, well, I'm not worth 
you know, I was just like dark, 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 not worthy. Insurance is saying no, blah, 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 blah. But when I got to a place that I was, and this just happened, I mean, I'm not 100% happy, but um, where I let that go and I said, why ruminate in the negative and something I can't control, appealing or going, you know, being on medications to try all of that stuff I don't want to be the human guinea pig so what occurred to me was finding some sense of peace in that in you know the now and the future and the present type of thing Mm -hmm. Um, in the now like right now I appreciate how I'm feeling mentally physically and really truly and I'm in recovery today is all we have so it's that practice but my mind is so like a rubber band goes straight to catastrophe from zero to and I'm in destitute I'm homeless on the street I'm you know kicking ass looking for food that's where I go to so what I'm hearing is the contentment is within us you just got to tap into it. But at the same time, I fear that I could convince myself that everything's okay, but I'm really in complete denial. Right. And I'm bullshitting myself. And so finding that I don't trust this all that much yep. sometimes. Yep. That only- oh, gosh, yes. And isn't that the worst pothole on the road? The one of like... The one, the one, the voice in us that tells us, well, if I trust and if I'm contentment, I'm just fooling myself. And I think, I think that's, you know, that, that kind of mentality, it's taught into us because we're taught sort of, you have to be anxious. You have to be doing, you have to be proactive. You have to be struggling. You have to be fighting for what you want. This is a dog eat dog world and you have to be a dog. And if you're not a dog, something bad is going to happen to you. You know, that's kind of what we're taught. And that's part of, especially the American ethos of aggression there's an aggressive mindset behind that it's totally destructive so that such that when we say well what if i rest in contentment what if i trust you know what if i allow things to unfold you know there's it's like heresy to the culture (laughs) you know we're taught on every level be afraid strive struggle i think it's a and again, this will become relevant when we talk about trust down the road too. But, you know, we can see how hand in hand these things go, that the practice of contentment takes trust. And it means trusting ourselves. It means trusting the unfolding of life, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, again, I want to emphasize, because this can be an, a very important but hidden element of the practice, If we are trusting and knowing that contentment, happiness, fulfillment are here, but we're not experiencing it, we have to ask ourselves, what is it that I'm looking for? What is, in what way am I moving away from what's here towards something that's not here? Because it can be very, very subtle. You know, I don't want to be feeling the moment, say, like, let's say sadness wells up in you, right? This is a tricky one. So sadness wells up in you and you think to yourself, well, Sadness isn't contentment. So you begin looking for something that will make you feel happy and alleviate the sadness. But the moment you do that, you begin to struggle. We begin to struggle when we do that. 
Because we're, what we're doing in that moment is we're subtly telling ourselves, this experience of sadness, it's not okay. It's not enough. I should be experiencing something else. And that's the moment we move away from ourselves. Contentment is not moving away from ourself. You know? So it's a very deep practice. It has many deep permutations to it. So for instance, when you're in that sadness, and this, I mean, this is all kind of what I'm experiencing, and then I'm having these aha moments as you're talking, I get sad, and um, I can be pretty stoic for a long time and not have any emotions, just kind of functioning and putting on the, hey, I got it together, and I'm a realtor, and blah, 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 blah. But recently, grief has just bubbled up. Um, and I've had two opportunities to not try to get out of that grief, but actually just kind of take a day and say, well, this is where I'm at, and embrace it, and allow myself to kind of be a blubbering mess. Yeah. And, um, once I got to that place, it didn't last for weeks. It was a day, you know. Um, but I felt a sense of relax, like my body relaxed and like, all right, we're going to just roll through this yeah. and it's okay. The world isn't going to collapse and you're not going to lose whatever it is you're fearing to lose. And with that, it was kind of allowing a vessel or the the dam to open up and just allow that freedom for a smooth sleep. Yeah. And once I got to the other side and had a good yeah. night's sleep, I woke up feeling refreshed. But usually yeah. it's a big dog fight. And it depends on what's going on in my life. So if I have to be on yeah. and deal with clients, you don't want to be a complete basket case. Right. Um, so very interesting. Well, and that, Chris, that introduces the tantric element of this is that so like the yogic approach to this whole thing would be, okay, you're feeling sadness, move away from the sadness toward a sense of contentment. That's what you get with a lot of the practice that people practices that people teach, right guys? Is if you're feeling sad, focus on something positive. Focus on what you're grateful for. It's an effective method often. That's the yogic approach. Take one experience and replace it with another. Patanjali actually suggests that exactly as a practice in the Yoga Sutras. Take the negative experience and replace it with a positive. Okay? So that's the yogic approach. The tantric approach is that's not working. Every time I try to replace this experience with something else, I'm just moving away from this experience. So the tantric experience says, just like Chris was saying, I have to allow this energy to be present and transmute. And the moment I allow this energy to be present, really, it transmutes, it begins to shift. Right, So that's a good illustration, too, of that difference between the yogic and the tantric approach with contentment. Right, So tantric approach says, you don't have to move away from what you're experiencing toward contentment. You can find contentment at the bottom, in the core of what you're experiencing right now. Just don't move away from it. Just don't avoid it. Just don't resist it. Okay. Can I add something? Yeah, sure. I don't, um, and we are all hardwired differently, so this is just my lived experience. I, I don't know how the yogic approach, I don't see how that works because um, I did that for a very long time. And I think of the movie Inside Out, and I'm sure I had a spiritual awakening <laughs> in that moment because 
I have always been happy and well and optimistic, all of those things I would identify with. Um, but I, I didn't have joy fully rooted or ecstasy until this is sounds so funny, but I live in the world of children. I'm watching this movie and then sadness comes over and she sits next to joy and then joy finally gets it. Like, wow, I have to hold space for all of this. Like I need to feel it. And now I'm here and now I'm present and now I am joyful. And I was like, so silly, but that was, that was everything. Um, so it's interesting that was, I don't know if that's Disney or Pixar, but they're teaching a tantric, um, Uh idea Uh and there's so much, you know, science. And I know that's not what we're here for, but that is around being into the feelings, identifying, like we have so much rich language to describe what's coming up for us and then sitting with that emotion. And then when you create the space for it and then uh, have self-compassion and allow it to be without allowing it to take over you, mm-hmm. um, then it does transmute and then you're content. It's like this, the, yep. the, the circle closes. Yep. Well, your point is very good. It was just funny you mentioned Inside Out. I was just talking about that movie the other day. It is such a good movie. Such a good, uh, yeah, so many truths contained in that movie. But you're, I think you're, you're right here in that ultimately that yogic approach will never be 100% successful, right? And I think you see that. That's kind of what you see in developing yogis is that most people start with a yogic approach and then end up in a tantric approach because over time we realize, and it really just represents kind of two different phases of the journey. Neither one is better than the other, but it's just that as our experience shifts and changes, what you said becomes true. It's that ultimately that yogic approach, it doesn't, what it does is alleviates your experience in the moment, but it doesn't produce real transformation. The, the tantric element produces real transformation. And that, so that inevitably that's what we come to at some point. Yeah, definitely. Well, why don't we do, guys, I said we would do a little contentment meditation. So let's do that, just about 10 minutes or so. And then we'll come back to conversation. I don't want to lose our opportunity to do that. I'll uh, mute you all again, just for the time being. And like we, so like we were doing at the beginning of our hour, Drop into your body and here welcome a contact with the pain body or the desire body. Again, that part of you that might feel heavy, tired, unsatisfied, depressed even. Welcome a contact here with that so use your awareness gently and lightly because we're not going to bring the harsh critic to this part of ourselves we're going to make a gentle loving contact with it again nonviolence and we're just going to tell this heavy part of ourselves for a moment a simple truth, a simple objective truth. You will never find happiness outside yourself. I love you 
you will never find happiness outside of yourself. Now allow yourself in this acknowledgement to whatever level it hits you, to whatever depth it, it penetrates. Allow yourself to settle here and to see and feel and know that this present moment is enough. Even if this present moment isn't your version of ideal or optimal. Maybe there's a little pain, you got a bellyache, you got a headache, you're tired. But that if you really sink into it, this moment is enough. And allow yourself to feel the good feeling, the peacefulness, the ease the satisfaction that's naturally present here, here and now. A sense of well-being. And realize from this position, this feeling, this experience, that it is your movement away from this well-being that causes struggle. It's the search, the reaching, the chasing, the striving that takes us away from ourselves, away from the natural inner landscape of contentment. And in this moment, which is the only moment we have to practice in, in this moment, we simply relinquish the search. We drop the search, we drop the struggle, we drop the striving, we rest. We rest in a peaceful contentment. If you feel that this is not accessible to you right now, then you are practicing some form of desire, some form of wanting something more, better, or different. If you can recognize that you're doing that, simply drop that practice and rest in contentment. Your breath will become lighter. Your mind will be easier. You will begin to experience some kind of positive emotion. You may even go further to realize that your contentment is your birthright, your natural state, your core, your essence.
at home you are content. When you leave home to go looking for something more, there's struggle. So simply make a decision to stay at home. Again, recognize that contentment is not a place that you have come to. It's not a specific feeling or emotion. It's just what's here when you are at home. It's just what's here when we're not reaching, striving, desiring, wanting, needing, forcing, controlling, Just enjoy for a moment the satisfaction. You're satisfied, you're satiated, you're full. Okay, just breathing a few breaths and feeling this contentment circulate throughout your body. Feel it enliven you and calm you, make you clear, make you strong, make you gentle. And again, just as you're ready to open your eyes or not, it's up to you. If you remember back to the beginning of our course, I shared with you uh, that the yogis... Um, articulate the nature of our essence, the nature of our core with those three terms. If you remember Sat, Chit, and Ananda. So Sat, remember, means we have existence. We are. We, there's a being here. There's a being. There's an isness to us. We are here. We're present. Chit, consciousness. There's, there's wakeful awareness present in us. And Ananda, which is usually 
defined as bliss. But bliss sometimes is a too loaded of a word. When we practice contentment, when we experience contentment, we are experiencing the natural sense of well-being that is a part of our core and our essence. That sense of well-being that runs even deeper than when we are experiencing disease or pain. The presence of that well-being is ananda. And this is universal. There's not a single human being on the planet. There's nobody on the planet that uh, does not have the capacity for that inner sense of well-being. There's people who have turned far away from it. And there's people who've turned toward it. And there's people in various stages along the way. But there's nobody here that does not have access because that intrinsic goodness and well-being, the same as what we experience in contentment, it's universal. It's here in each of us, right? As the saying goes that the sun shines on the sinner and the saint both, right? So that intrinsic well-being is here. And the only difference between the sinner and the saint is that the saint has realized contentment and acts in this world in a way that's beautiful. And the sinner or the, uh, I don't know, miscreant, (laughs) the miscreant has simply uh, lost touch with that inner goodness and now is just just causing destruction everywhere, right? A Hitler doesn't become a Hitler because of an intrinsic evil. A Hitler becomes an evil by a process of turning so far away from the source of goodness that all they can put out to the world is violence and harm and confusion and fear, right? So our practice here is to orient back toward home, toward our essence, bringing with it not only contentment, but all the other qualities too. Non-violence vanishes, you know, Greed vanishes. The need for control vanishes. And maybe you had in our meditation just a little glimpse, a little taste of that. You know? Other things you'd like to say? Other questions or explorations for us here? Is it clear? You know, one of the things that's beautiful about the yogic path is it's very scientific in the sense that um, we can look at our experience, we can examine it objectively, and by doing so, we can get very tried and tested, um, observable, not only results, but observable understanding, right? So like like the desire element within us, like if we just look at our desiring mechanism within us, it becomes a very scientific observation. It's like, okay, when I practice desire, when I practice wanting something to be other than it is, I suffer, right? It's very objective. It's a very objective scientific observation, something that can be put to the test and repeated over and over and over again. Our path is beautiful that way because 
for contentment, there's nothing you have to believe. Even if I'm saying here, well, the natural state of your inner being is contentment. You don't have to believe that. Who'd, I could just be an idiot just saying whatever I made up, you know. The, the important thing is that we verify it. And that's what we want to do with this practice of Santosha is to verify, is that really true? And, and by working with our experience that way, really see that indeed contentment is a natural part of myself when I don't move away, when I don't go reaching for something different. Right. So again, I want to emphasize that this is not simply whatever miserable condition you're in, just be satisfied with it. That's not the essence of this. Sometimes that's the kind of message that gets put forward. That's not it. You know, it's, it's that there is a wellspring of happiness in us and it's just ready. It's just waiting to be tapped, right? But we have to tap it where it is. It's within us. If we try tapping it, see, when I have my tap and I'm like, okay, I'm looking for something to tap and I tap into you or I tap into whatever, you know, my next vacation or I tap it, whatever I'm trying to tap into, you know, it's like it just runs dry. But when we tap into this inner source, um, it is it is ever flowing. And again, returning to the Bhagavad Gita for a moment that message that there is nothing in this world that will satisfy us is a really significant message because it's only when we realize that nothing here is going to satisfy me, not a relationship, not money, not even the best health, not even that, you know, not good friends. All those things are beautiful. I hope for all of those things for all of us, but none of them will satisfy us. For that deep satisfaction, we go within And that's what makes our journey spiritual is that the source of that happiness is planted inside of us. It's not a thing. And because it's not a thing, we call it spiritual, right? Or or essential or existential. But it's where we go. You know, it's in this way, our yamas and niyamas can be made into the most simple practices, the most simple practical practices there are, right? Just practice being content with what you have all the way to that contentment is a rich source of spirit and essence that lives inside of me, right? The whole range is covered in Patanjali. And this is often how the yogic teachings are, is that we get to encounter them at whatever level of understanding we are currently abiding in. But it will, this contentment, as we tap into it, we want to tap into it more, right? The more you, the more you tap, the more you want to taste. And as that taste grows strong, this is the positive part of desire. It becomes a longing, a deep longing, a deep desiring and passion. And that desire, that passion is beautiful. Because that passion doesn't take us away from ourselves to something. It steers us deeper and deeper into ourselves. That's what at least I hope to encourage through our practice, through these explorations. Because that's what really has meaning. That's what really has depth. Is that there is a life 
for us of incredible beauty and richness. And it's not out there anywhere, you know. So in some sense, the yogic path is the path of the path home, the path back to ourselves if we have turned away. So it sounds good, doesn't it? <laughs> Anybody wanting to refuse that offer? I hope not. It's the offer of this path, you know. Well, let me see if I have a few notes here. Let me see if I missed anything. Oh, one thing I'll mention. So uh, along the lines with desire here too, one thing to understand, if this isn't already uh, obvious to you, is that the reason why everyone does what they're doing is for happiness. Happiness is a universal drive within us. The person who is getting drunk at the bar, the person who is, uh, um, you know, taking advantage of someone, the person who's jumping out of an airplane, the person who's skateboarding on the water, person reading a book, person watching television, whatever it is that people are doing, everyone's doing what they're doing in a quest for happiness, right? The monk meditating in a cave, it's all part of the same drive. Right? So that drive toward happiness is universal. It's fundamental. It's why, even I watched a documentary, even serial killers are driven by this. Not that killing people brings happiness, but what they would feel, they, what they reported in this documentary is that it was not killing people that was so nourishing. It was the peace they felt afterward, Right? That's what they were really after, and they didn't know any other way to get there. And that's all of us to some regard. We don't know other, any other way other than getting a new house, getting a new car, getting a new lover, getting a piece of chocolate, you know, getting 50 likes on Facebook, whatever. We don't know any other way. But oh, that was what Sarah said that I wanted to come back to, is that our ultimate desire is for that happiness. It's for that peace. So every other desire just disguises that core desire, right? And so because it's what we all want and because it's what we all have, we are to follow that. We're, we're to follow that impulse toward happiness, but to direct it to where we can find it, not to where it doesn't exist. And that's the real transformation of Santosha is to direct that happiness impulse inward to where it exists and not outward where it doesn't. If there's any doubt about this, because I know this can be a controversial comment. I've heard people, I've had a lot of people argue with me about this in the past around the motivation for everything being happiness. I'm happy to break that down and go further into that at some point if anybody's interested because it really is there lying as the the motivation behind even the most atrocious things that people do. On some level, those atrocious things, that person believes doing this will make me happy in some way. Of course, it doesn't work. It doesn't work at all. But deep down, there is some belief that if they do this thing, 
it's going to make them happy. You know. So. Well, our time is pretty much up, but is there anything left for us to say to this? Anything left for you to comment on, maybe? I had one more thing. Oh, I'm sorry. Matt, you go. That's all right. I've already spoken twice. It's your turn. Thank you. Um, I was going to ask whether it is happiness or release from the yearning to become happy, like the perception that it is happiness that we are striving for. And it's the turning inward. I've noticed that contentment doesn't necessarily feel happy necessarily. It feels at peace. Yes. You know, yes. There's sort of a, a, a release from the, the trappings of the daily activities and things that pull on our minds. Um, so I don't know if that is different than happiness or the quest for happiness or whether it's, it's just a different view of the same thing. No, you're right, Matt. It's, it's, uh, what you're saying is just kind of, an, it means that you've actually digested and known this experience deeply because you, only a person who's known this can say that. And it's, in some ways, the contentment is a redefining of what happiness really is. So you're quite right. Yeah, I would say that what you're what you're sharing is just the next step to this is that it's not even really happiness that we seek as a feeling or an emotion or a state. It is that deeper, you know, like the Bible calls it the peace that surpasses understanding. It's it's the deeper peace that that is indeed what we're really after. You're right. Yeah. Definitely. And I think in that a redefining of happiness occurs. We, we understand happiness very differently then. Yep. Sarah, did you want to? Um, yeah, so I was just going to echo what you had said, the human um, moving always toward pleasure and away from pain mm. or pleasure or happiness and um, sharing a nugget that has held me in the past. Um, if things are feeling spinny or panicky um, or whatever, the state that you're in when you aren't centered in yourself, um, a self-awareness practice, right? Like pausing, stopping, identifying what is that thing? Okay, well, what does that mean? And then ride the elevator down. Okay, it's because of this. Ride the elevator down, down, down until you get to that root of this is what is really showing up for me. Um, so working on that uh, mindfulness practice. And I mean, it, it for my life was very, it had to be very intentional for a long time until it wasn't. Um, so yeah. if anybody is feeling like they're suffering or, or having a, a struggle with this, um, maybe that could be something. Yeah. I think that that is important, you know, that happiness is like a diamond and sometimes the diamond is hidden under many layers of earth. So sometimes if we really want contentment or happiness, we have to go digging down through the layers, down through our sadness, down through our hopelessness, down through our anger. Sometimes that's the process, which we'll come to really prominently when we talk about tapas, because tapas is all about encountering the difficulty, encountering the hardship. So that'll be really relevant. It'll be a nice bridge between that conversation and this one to have that. Because sometimes 
if we really want that deep satisfaction, we've got to do the thing that's difficult to get it. Not get it, but to realize it, to actualize it. Mm -hmm. Good, beautiful. Lots of good points, you guys. Lots of good things, I think, that we got to today. So um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for making this exploration rich and beautiful. Um, I'll see you on Facebook and uh, Steph will be here Thursday and then I'll be here back to Thursdays after that. So I'll see you next Thursday, okay? Thanks, everyone. Be well. Namaste. Recording stop.